0: Good morning, my name is Ellie Jones. Please listen to God's words from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death,
1: Good morning, my name is Randy Beaverson. I've been part of Faith Church since I was a little kid. I won't tell you how many years, it's a long time. And I currently serve on the elder board and I have a friend introduced to you. This is CeeLo, he's a Quaker from South Africa and he's probably thinking he's made bush gardens big time. And this is his nemesis, the stuffed bird. A few months ago, my son bought this thing. It makes this really obnoxious little sound. And uh, whenever you bring him close, he kind of wants to attack. See, there we go. Yep, (laughs) saw that? And uh, so a couple weeks ago, something happened that was very entertaining, and I thought, that is an illustration I'm going to have to use. We uh, put Silo on his perch up on the entertainment center. We still have one of those monstrous entertainment centers everyone used to have. And we put this out on one corner, we put Silo on his perch over here, and he eventually made his way down and squiggled away across, and he started attacking this thing until it finally fell off the corner. And uh, he just turned right around and kind of held his tail out over the edge and let one plop. And I thought, you know, I would love to take care of my problems that way. <laughs> Wouldn't you? I think. So, how's that for an introduction to a sermon on wilderness? <laughs> Last week, we began an exploration of the difficult wilderness experiences of life by asking who goes into the wilderness, and the answer is everyone. We asked why God allows wilderness in our lives, learning from Moses that God led his people into the wilderness to humble them and test them, and in the end, to do them good. From this, we concluded that in our lives today, wilderness times create the environment for God to mold us and build our faith. And the wilderness prepares us for our future as well. We then explored seven wilderness triggers, saying it's helpful to be aware that sound reasons for wilderness experiences exist, but ultimately, we usually don't know what has triggered a particular wilderness time or experience. Instead of trying to figure everything out, we need to just focus on the God who walks with us in the wilderness and respond properly to the difficult situation. And that is what we're gonna be discussing today.
2: My name is Kim. I've experienced some deep wilderness in my life. Six years ago, I lost my husband, my young daughter's daddy, to cancer. Watching him suffer was the hardest thing we ever had to go through. He was the love of my life, my soulmate. When I lost him, I thought all was lost, including love. I felt adrift, like nothing would ever anchor me in happiness again. But I kept my heart open for the sake of my daughter. I'm so happy I did, or I wouldn't have met Bill, my now husband. Closing your heart, especially when times are tough, means you could be closing yourself off to exactly what you need to heal again.
1: So when in the wilderness, how might you react? Is there any common pattern or stages that people follow when they encounter a sudden and alarming wilderness? If so, it could be reassuring to know that we're responding in ways that millions of other people have, and God is not surprised or even disappointed in us. We'll mention a couple of these stages only briefly, so if you're writing fast for a future wilderness experience, taking notes like last week, you'll have to write quickly. Uh, Stage one, when it comes to sudden onsets of severe wilderness, it is normal at first to withdraw, to become detached, distant, perhaps angry as you try to grasp what is happening. People often struggle to regain control and fight back at this stage. Stage two, we may start to wonder about the basics. God, are you really there? Have I been fooled all these years? Do you notice? Do you care about my situation at all? After that, we have stage three, where the heart can begin to soften we regain some equilibrium as we begin to remember the many times God has proven faithful to us and his other kids. We begin to open our hearts again, and we are able to move beyond some of our doubts and our questions. Eventually, in stage four, we realize that not only is God there and his word is dependable, but we can trust him with the situation in our lives. We're able to say, he hasn't abandoned me after all. You can go to church and once again sing, Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Like the disciple Peter, we get to this point where we say, Lord, where is there to turn other than to you? Here's the context of Peter's comment from John 6 Many of Jesus' disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. At this stage, we realize what really is the alternative. And finally, stage five, where we're going to camp out for a while, you reach a point of surrender. You consciously submit to God's designs and plans, or at least what he is allowing to happen, even if these things include difficult wilderness. When this happens in our hearts and minds, we finally draw near to God and are able to learn to be molded into his image in new ways, growing stronger and becoming more fruitful through the situation. Now, unfortunately, not everyone gets to and through this fifth stage, but it is very important. So that's why we're spending some time here. The reason surrender and submission toward God are vital is not that he is overbearing or conceited, but because this is the only true and appropriate way for mortal, limited, even sinful, and sometimes clueless creatures to perceive themselves before a creator who is eternally glorious and perfect in his goodness and love. It's in fact the only thing that makes sense in light of reality and the reality is that he is strong and we are weak he is rich we are poor he is full we are empty we have needs he does not the beauty of being appropriately humbled and acknowledging our dependence upon God is like the beauty of the gospel itself the requirement is simply to hope in God to throw ourselves upon his mercy, recognizing our lost condition and utter need for his salvation. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves to God. We simply trust, have faith, believe, and live accordingly. Now, aren't you glad that God requires these things rather than that we straighten up and fly right without fail? We cast ourselves upon him. Simply receiving what he offers us, broken before him in part because that is the only thing that makes sense. This is the truth we must acknowledge and respond to in order to know God's greatest blessings. I could say that sentence five times. Most of you have heard of the movie Horse Whisperer. There are two main characters, a girl named Grace and her horse Pilgrim. They get hit by a truck. Grace loses part of a leg and Pilgrim is injured. Over time, Grace's mother, who owns the horse, begins to believe that Grace's recovery uh, emotionally is tied to Pilgrim's physical recovery. She learns there are a few people called horse whisperers who possess this uncanny ability to read and communicate with a horse and help an injured horse toward healing. We're going to watch a little scene here that shows Booker the horse whisperer working with Pilgrim in a pool of water as part of his therapy. Pilgrim gets spooked and he runs off into a meadow. Booker gently pursues the horse and they are at opposite ends of the meadow. It is a face-off of sorts.
0: That's about it. Still a long ways away from getting the leg over him.
3: doing is this some kind of physical therapy
4: them back we'll never get him out of there maybe we're right in after.
3: Mr. Booker, I'm really not comfortable with you taking these kind of risks. hurt you only
1: when I kick somebody don't you go to school
4: taking a break don't you
3: school terms out early for us so we can work the ranch
1: him out in the pasture he must have been a big beautiful looking horse how was he to ride
5: excuse me i've got chores to look after
3: The way. Should we leave? I guess we'll go then.
1: In the next few seconds of that clip, the horse continues walking toward Booker and allows him to relatch and walks away. And as I watch this, I wonder how many times I have gone through that scene with the Lord in my years with him. He is so patient, and I am so fickle. And maybe you feel the same way. Submission. And walking with God through our wilderness may not occur right away. But we must be willing to draw near to God. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And I'll make one other comment related to this film clip. You may have noticed that the horse's owner kept asking Booker questions. In fact, that's all she did this whole time was ask questions. But he didn't answer. He knew he wanted to accomplish a certain thing, he knew why it needed to be accomplished, and he probably knew that no answer existed that would make sense to this lady. She, much like the horse pilgrim, did not understand what was really going on or why. Booker had to appeal her based on something else, trust. At some point, both she and the horse must place their trust in Booker as the specialist. He was fully trustworthy. He had only the best in mind for this horse and this family. But given their experience in a painful world, they could discover that only through trust, surrender, submission. And I think you know that I'm also talking about us and God. When we finally have that attitude toward God, we find that he has plans and blessings for us that can only be found as we walk with him through wilderness.
4: But all the while you hear each spoken need, you'd love us way too much to give us lesser things. Cause what if your blessings come through raindrops, what if your healing comes through tears, What if a thousand sleepless nights Are what it takes to know you're near And what if trials of this life Are your mercies in disguise
0: We pray Pray for for
4: wisdom. wisdom your voice to hear we cry in anger when we cannot feel you near we doubt your goodness we doubt your love as if every promise from your word is not enough and all the while Desperate plea and love us, though we'd have faith to believe. Cause and what if your, your blessings, blessings come, come through raindrops? raindrops? What if and your healing comes through tears? tears? And what and if a thousand, thousand sleepless nights? Light? So, what it, it takes to know you're near? And what if trials? of this life, all your mercies in disguise, when friends betray betray us, us, when darkness seems to win, we know the pain reminds this heart heart that this is not, this 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 is is not our heart. blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? And what if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if my greatest disappointments or the aching of Rain, the storms, the hardest nights, all your mercies in.
1: seen the natural steps that people tend to journey through when they find themselves suddenly thrust into a harsh wilderness, hopefully progressing towards submission to God, because we finally realize that's the only thing that makes sense. But what about those long walks through wilderness? Those things that have entered our lives that will never be forgotten or perhaps completely healed? How can you best persevere through long wilderness seasons. Part of that answer is to turn our eyes upon Jesus, to focus not on ourselves or the things causing our wilderness, but God himself primarily. Psalm 23 is often read at gravesides, which marks it as a classic wilderness text. Look at it again if you still have it handy. We can learn much from it for our wilderness experiences. When we focus on God, our Good Shepherd. Here's what we find. He is present. He may be quiet, but he's present. Verse 4 says God is with us and comforts us. Again, in the movie, Booker stays in the meadow. He makes himself less obvious and imposing, crouching down, but he didn't leave pilgrim. In each of the Bible uh, stories of God's people in the wilderness, we see his presence. For Israel, It was literally a visible cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. For Elijah, it was a still small voice and food delivered by ravens. One wonderful part of the gift of God's presence is his other kids. Some here at Faith who have recently encountered painful wilderness circumstances have testified they don't know how they would have made it through without this body of believers being them being there for them and helping them in practical ways. So as an elder, I say thank you, Faith Church, for serving one another in this way. It matters, and it's part of the gift of God's presence.
3: My name is Lori. I've experienced some deep wilderness in my life. In November, I lost my husband of 19 years unexpectedly. He was only 55 years old, and I had never thought he would be taken from me so young. I was sad, depressed, and slowly killing myself through obesity. Fortunately, a couple of dear friends saw that I was drowning in my misery, and they loved me out of it. I started taking care of myself, eating healthy, and I lost over 200 pounds. I wanted to live to see my grandson grow up. Without God's gift of my friends, I would not have survived.
1: Both scripture and science confirm that loneliness kills and friendship saves. Studies show that isolation makes you more likely to be depressed or suffer a stroke or heart attack. One study compared it to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Spending time with others boosts your immune system and can extend your life. Life wasn't meant to be a solitary journey, especially in times of hardship. Allow God to be present with you through his other kids and be ready to help others when they're in need. That's pretty tough in today's crazy American culture to take time for that. But this is part of the beauty of being actively committed to a local church body through thick and thin over the long haul. The second thing we find is that God is patient. He waits. He hangs around the fringe of the meadow, sometimes for a long time, allowing us to exercise our will, ask our questions, be angry. But Psalm 103 reminds us the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. A third thing you find if you allow the good shepherd to walk with you through the wilderness is that God is personal. Verse 3 of Psalm 23 says, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God knows our needs and somehow weaves the good and bad that happens into our li- in our lives into a tapestry that he knows is best. He allows pain, sometimes surprisingly awful pain, but he can find ways to turn around the bad that sometimes blinds us, blindsides us to accomplish something good. He brings redemption. He tailors our ongoing story to bring healing and growth. Booker never took his eyes off Pilgrim. Likewise, God doesn't take his eyes off of us for even a moment. He is personal.
2: My name is Helen. I've experienced some deep wilderness in my life. At 30 years old, I was the mom of two small children, married to my high school sweetheart, living the life of my dreams. And then I was diagnosed with breast cancer. After surgery and grueling chemotherapy, I was cancer-free and thought I was done. But a year later, the cancer was back, and it had spread. I underwent more chemo, radiation, and surgery. I lost all my hair, all my energy, my breasts, my ovaries, and was thrown into menopause overnight. But I never gave up. Whenever anyone asks me how, I always give the same answer, God. God carried me when I didn't have the strength to swim or even to float. I knew no matter what happened that God was going to see me through it because he is, was more powerful than cancer. You have to have faith in God. When God walks with us in the wilderness,
1: God's provision. Israel discovered manna, water. And encouragement in the wilderness we read that the feet of the israelites israelites never got swollen in 40 years of traipsing around in the wilderness various prophets and jesus were attended to by angels in the wilderness psalm 23 symbolically tells us that god provides still water green pastures even preparing a table for us in the midst of troubles and danger And five, God walks with us through wilderness by being present, personal, patient, providing, and praiseworthy. I'll say that again. He is praiseworthy. There may be times when all we can do is press ourselves to worship, maybe through music. Sometimes even when you don't feel like it at first. Listening to worshipful music when alone in the car can produce an attitude adjustment. I know I've found that true for me lately. You may not even feel like you can pray, at least for yourself, but many have found that worship can help mend wounds and bring clarity. God is always worthy of our worship and praise, but our limited perspective and misleading emotions keep us from seeing and feeling this. There are many perspective practices that can be helpful in taking our eyes off our own wilderness and remembering God's blessings. Here is a prime perspective practice for you, as Americans particularly. So many of my problems are related to things that actually reveal how blessed I am. Having to fix my car, which shows I can't afford a car. Getting frustrated with things at work, which shows I am employed. Getting injured while playing sports which shows I have enough health, strength, and free time to participate in those things. People lament over retirement accounts that sometimes fall with the market, which means they are part of the 20% of the world that has some retirement income. On and on the list goes for us. Valerie and I have good friends who catch themselves complaining about this or that, pausing to think twice, and then they remark, eh, first world problems. I've realized this is a very appropriate perspective practice. After preparing this part of my message, in fact, I was in light conversation with my son, Jonathan, commenting about someone who had given me a whole bunch of $1 bills as change, and I don't like that because it makes my wallet too thick, and it's not comfortable. He agreed, and then I caught myself, smiled and said, First world problem, eh? And he smiled and again agreed. One seemingly enormous problem I will touch on here uh, in this country, because everybody seems to be talking about it, is actually rarely recognized as an evidence of greater blessing, is the cost of college and the burden of school loans. Now many of us here, uh, of all ages, are somewhere in the process of navigating, maybe helping others try to work through the wildly rising cost of higher education. But I'll tell you, by way of this perspective practice, if it weren't money causing the problem, it could easily be something much worse. In India, for instance, uh, they're experiencing rashes of suicides among college-age young people for a different reason. Education is incredibly competitive from the earliest grades. Uh, families go to extremes to ensure that their kids do well in exams, because they know how hard it can be to get into college. I've seen siblings of students climbing up the sides of school buildings so they can toss a cheat sheet or shout answers through a window to a brother or sister. There are students who graduate from the South Asian equivalent of high school with a 104 percent, which means they've achieved their version of a 4.0 GPA plus extra credit gained through more work. But even many of these students, are not even able to get a seat in a university because of a major shortage of quality schools available. They spent their lives working endlessly to get the best grades possible, sacrificing so many other things. And when they can't even get a seat in the university, they give up on life entirely. Extreme academic competition is producing unprecedented mental problems in other places too, such as Japan. Some kids are melting down mentally in unusual ways, uh, new ways such as locking themselves in their bedroom for weeks or maybe months at a time, unwilling to emerge even for meals. In Taiwan, there are kids that become so focused on working on their computers that they forego breaks to eat or sleep, finally collapsing at their desk. Local ordinances regulating internet cafes have been enacted to address these issues. America's education systems have some serious, frustrating problems. But when it comes to the availability of higher quality, quality higher education, we are really blessed, even if it is crazy expensive these days. It's perspective.
3: My name is Allie. I've experienced some deep wilderness in my life. When my husband and I were both laid off, our house went into foreclosure and we had to file bankruptcy. I felt like I was in a storm with anxiety crashing over me and depression trying to drown me. I knew if I didn't do something positive with my life soon, I would sink deeper and deeper into the gloom. One afternoon, I was driving past the local hospital and found myself in the volunteer's office. I signed up on a whim. I now spend my time helping others. I've realized that when you think you've hit rock bottom, there's always someone who's going through something worse. Helping other people in need takes my mind off my own problems, and it's given me a better outlook on life. I have faith in God that better times are just ahead.
1: I'm going to close by sharing with you my personal secret weapon, which won't be so secret now, against seemingly insurmountable wilderness discouragement or despair. In Colossians 3, and many other places, the Apostle Paul instructs us to meditate, reflect, think on who and what awaits us in heaven. He writes Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Sometimes I imagine our arrival in heaven rather different from this traditional idea of a greeting at the pearly gates. Perhaps it will look more like the wedding of a couple here in Indianapolis not that long ago.
5: I'm reading this final story from an Star news article. A wedding day is supposed to be filled with laughter and happiness, but the big day was bittersweet for one newlywed couple. Tom Hanley and Lauren McGee were riding with their bridal party on a shuttle bus Saturday when the day turned tragic. They were headed for wedding day picture taking when the shuttle bus collided with another vehicle at a downtown intersection, killing a groomsman and injuring more than a dozen others, including the wedding couple. The Indianapolis Police Department said the driver of the other vehicle failed to stop for a red light. Most of the people inside the shuttle were transported to Methodist and Wishard, now as an uh, Eskanazi Memorial Hospitals. Despite sorrow, bandages, bruises and cuts, the wedding party persevered with the couple exchanging vows later in the day in a conference area of Methodist Hospital's emergency room. To make the wedding possible, nurses transformed into wedding planners. They gathered cookies and punch, set up chairs, and used hydrogen peroxide to get blood stains out of dresses. We got their medical needs tended to, and we found out they wanted to get married here," said Kelly Owens, an emergency room nurse. I've been here 10 years, Owens said. I've never seen, or I've seen one or two brides come in, but this is definitely the first time we've done a wedding. It makes the best of a bad situation. The bride's father called the nurses angels in blue because of their blue scrubs. Owens' husband picked up a replacement tuxedo for the groom, while security officers from Methodist went to Wishard to pick up the best man and the wedding rings. Carrying daisy bouquets, the bridesmaid and bride wore hospital-issued socks. About 100 teary-eyed guests gathered for the short ceremony where the bride and groom exchanged vows and rings. The wedding had been scheduled for 5.30 at Mavericks Art and Events Center. After the hospital wedding, the participants went there for a special prayer service and dinner.
1: When you're in the wilderness and all else fails, remember the wedding <clears throat> awaiting us in heaven. The marriage between our Lord Jesus Christ and the worldwide church he has been building for 2,000 years, just as he promised. I yearn for that day. When Christ's church, won out of a damaging, pain-filled, fatally sinful world will be eternally wed to its savior. Jesus anticipates tenderly taking us by the hand and welcoming us into our eternal home with him. Luke 12, 32 says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus returned to his father in heaven bearing scars. And likewise, we, his bride, may arrive For the wedding supper of our Lord, marked and scarred by the things we have endured and experienced in this life. Some may be wheeled in by angels of white rather than blue. Heaving sighs of relief and happiness as Christ wipes every tear from our eyes. Anticipating the beginning of a joy-filled eternity with him. The party to end all parties is coming And if you are in Christ today, you will be there. You have a seat at the banquet table. Your place is being prepared right now. Don't forget that when you find yourself in an alarmingly confusing dark valley in a type of wilderness you never dreamed possible. Hold on. Keep trusting and serving and enduring to the end, which is just a little longer We will see him with our eyes, and our earthly troubles will be over. Hopefully, these words of Moses mean more to you now than before we began last week. Let's read them together. God leads us, his children, into the wilderness to humble us and to test what is in our hearts, and in the end, to do us good. Amen.